0: Welcome to Conversations on Conversations, the show where each week we have conversations about a topic that helps us have deeper conversations and more powerful relationships with ourselves and others. I'm your host, Sarah Neil Wilson, and I'm I'm thrilled every week. But this week I'm 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 also thrilled <laughs> to invite Ann Tompkinson. Uh, as our special guest this week. And let me give you her formal bio and then I'll explain a little bit about how I know Anne and why I'm so excited for you all to meet her. So Anne Tompkinson, You, my dear, are a certified, she's a certified coach with nearly 20 years in people operations with a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism. Her work includes transforming organizational culture, leadership coaching, public speaking and designing, implementing and facilitating learning for organizations, boards, and leadership teams to bring an equity lens to systems and processes, Anne believes that when individuals experience liberation, organizations flourish. I Anne, I was trying to remember when you and I met because we first connected on Twitter back in possibly 2018. 2019 Something like
1: that. I
0: think the first time I met you in person was in Chicago. Yes, at the Sherm okay. Conference, the HR conference, and we sat on the floor together. Yeah. I think
1: that was 2018.
0: Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, we sat on the
1: floor together. Yes, I vividly remember that because I don't sit on the floor for just anyone.
0: <laughs> and I sit on the floor all the time without thinking. Uh, but but I have had a chance to um, get to know Anne on a personal level. And even for my own growth and development, I had the uh, honor of working with Anne as a coach for a number of months during 2020 um, as she worked with coaching um, me and helping me with my personal growth and development, um, and and looking at the work that we were doing through a, a lens of systemic oppression, and you know, and, and before I bring you on, you know, one of the things I just what what I'm really excited about with this conversation is, you know, this whole series is intended for us to pause, reflect think differently about how we're thinking, how we're talking. And sometimes that's not going to always be comfortable. And sometimes there are, are truths or uh, re- realities that we need to consider and get curious about. And so I'm, I'm really excited where we're going to dive in today, which is you know really exploring the power of the words that we use. But before we do that, hi, Anne. Hi, Sarah. What would you like what would you like our audience to know about you beyond what I've already shared? What I would want people to know about me. I think one of the most important
1: things about me is uh, my grandkids. I'm Mm. a grandmother. I have two granddaughters. I tell everyone that grandchildren are the best thing ever. Everyone should get some,
0: (laughs) Um, but it's a lot of work to get there. Like I want the grandkids, but I don't, (laughs) I don't want the kids to have to (laughs) make the grandkids, (laughs) you know, I
1: think that those kinds of relationships are really important. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that you have to have your own biological children or raise your own children to have those kinds of relationships. I think kids, um, kids benefit from having people in their lives who pour into their lives and love them and Mm -hmm. give them attention. And that can be, uh, nieces or nephews or nibblings. That can be your neighbor's kids. That can be, um, any children that are in your sphere will benefit from having you in their sphere.
0: That's a really great point. What do you love most about being a grandma? What's one thing? I was going to say, I don't want to have you choose. I I never like to ask people to choose. Yeah. A
1: thing that I love is just watching them grow, right? Because um, when I was raising my kids, there's watching them grow and being responsible for everything, Mm. right? And now I get to watch these little people. I was just looking at some pictures from about five years ago when they were toddlers and they were so cute. And I remember like that time. And I, um, I just shared a story on Facebook from five years ago when they were telling me like the cutest little sayings. And then yesterday, my daughter sent me uh, an essay that my oldest granddaughter just wrote in school. And she had an outline and notes and all of this on what it takes to be a good recorder player. And it was mm-hmm. like that. to watch from, <laughs> you know, her saying, nice nannies don't wash our faces. I don't like that. You know, five years ago, to a five paragraph essay on what it takes to be a good recorder player and how music brings happiness. It Mm. just, yeah, it's amazing to get to have a piece of that. And um, yeah, I I think that's the thing that I love the most. I love that.
0: So for those of you who are listening, one of the things that I want to share about the relationship that I have with Anne is that she has become a confidant and somebody that I uh, reach out to when maybe I'm struggling or uh, realize that maybe I had a regrettable event or a missed opportunity. And I know for me on on my personal journey, this idea of our words create our worlds was a concept that I first learned about when I was learning about appreciative inquiry. And, And I want to just start there just from the standpoint of that idea of our words create our reality. And, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, Anne, and, and why, why you feel it's so important for us to be thoughtful about the words we use for ourselves and also with other people.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, our words create our reality and our worlds create a reality for the people around us. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, for example, uh, well, you know, one of the things that I do is I um, tell people whenever I make a mistake, because I I want to, one of the things that I want to do is remove the scariness of, oh, what if I say the wrong thing, right? Mm. And I realized in a conversation this morning, I said something was crazy. And even as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh no, that's ableist language. And it, it being careful about language like that does two things. So for me internally, when I'm really careful about that language, it makes me much more um, aware, right? So it's not just, I don't want to use ableist language because that's offensive to people, you know, to disabled people. I don't want to use ableist language because I don't want to think of disabilities in that way, Mm. right?
0: Mm.
1: But it also, it doesn't just affect disabled people who hear me use that language. It also affects Anyone who hears me use that language, because when we use, you know, ableist language, we're telling the world that it's okay, that disabled people don't matter that we can, you know, minimize their experience. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Mm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. So, you know, I want to be a person who's careful, so that the world that I'm creating with my world words for myself and for everyone
0: around me is the world that I want to live in. Mm. Mm. I, there's always moments where I'm like, "Can you repeat that again?" I can't. I <laughs> never know was, what I have just said. Right? But but that <laughs> idea of I want to be thoughtful with with my words so I can create the world that I want to live in, right? And 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 for other people. And and I, you know, one of one of the intentions behind these conversations this is also to to piece out and to identify moments of practice that people can consider using in their own life. And so there's a couple that really resonate with me. One is that awareness of owning your mistakes when you say something wrong, right? Whether that, you know, whether that is catching yourself from saying something from an ableist perspective, perhaps from a, a, an oppressive perspective, a sexist, I mean, any ism, if you will, add to it, or maybe, or maybe it's um, um, coming from a place of a stress response trigger, and you, you know, you just you're a little sharp because you're coming in from that moment and just and and normalizing that. I love that idea of really normalizing, naming the mistake because I know there are times for me where you sit there in your head and you go, "Oh shoot, I didn't. Oh crud!" And what a beautiful opportunity, not only for yourself but also to to your point to normalize for other people. repairing, and and Mm -hmm. owning and acknowledging and naming. And so that's, that's one thing I want to highlight. And and the other is, I love the nuances and the complexity of how you broke down, that it isn't just how we it isn't just about how we think and feel for ourselves. Um, It's also how other people experience us and right, the world we create for them. But it's also how we think and experience how we think about the world that's that's a layer that is really resonating yeah. for me right now yeah yeah
1: um you can edit this out if you want but can i just um challenge you a little bit you said whether it's through an ableist lens or an oppressive lens or any of the isms and i'm wondering why you don't see ableist as oppressive
0: oh i do and if- Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, do I just was I was. Um, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I do. Th- I do see it as that. I just was expanding on in addition okay. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. No, I, pre- I I don't. I appreciate that pushback. Um, You know, and and I mean, this is why I love you. I think that that's a that's a good I mean, it's a good thing for me to reflect on. Um, For me, it was it was expanding beyond that. But that's not to say there might not be something potentially in there in an unconscious way, that may not connect that. Yeah. Let me, let me, you know, let me, let me ask you this. You know, one of the things is I was thinking about preparing for this conversation is there's a quote that's um, uh, resonant for me and it comes from Margaret Wheatley who does a, she's an author and she talks a lot about complexity in the workplace and uh, leadership. And, w- and one of the quotes that she has is, without reflection, we go blindly on our way, creating more unintended consequences and failing to achieve anything useful. And I was curious just to you know, share that with you and to see what comes up for you, because the idea of being intentional with our language requires us to have a deeper level of reflection than maybe we're used to having.
1: Yeah, it really does, and I I love that quote. I've not heard it before, but I really love that quote. I think um, I think sometimes when people think about being careful with their language, it's kind of like a checklist. Oh, I shouldn't say this because no. it's ableist or it's sexist or it's racist or it's whatever it might be. So I'm not supposed to say it. So I'll stop saying it, and that takes away the nuance. Of the reflection. Like, why do I say that? Why is mm-hmm. that so easy for me to say? Um, you know, going back to my example of words, like ableist words like crazy. You know, one reason it's easy to say is because everybody says it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it's like, well, wow, why does everybody say it? Why is that okay? What, you know, it, yeah, it has to be so much more than a checklist because our words create our worlds. But we we choose our words right? So we're not just, we can just be thoughtlessly spitting things out and creating a world that we have no idea what it is that we're creating. And I think that's what the quote is getting at, right? Like if we Mm -hmm. don't have some reflection, then uh, we, we don't know what we're creating and we're putting things out there that, you know, I don't think there, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there are many people out in the world who would say they don't care about you know other people they don't care you know if they're going around stomping on people and hurting people and causing harm like most people would say no that's not who i want to be i want to be somebody that you know cares about people i don't want to cause harm but then they don't think about how to make that happen mm. or why those intentions aren't being realized mm. right mm-hmm. so it's easy to say I want to be a good person i am a good person i want to think of myself as a good person um without thinking like well what is what does a good person look like Mm. and what makes a good person and how do i become a good person and and then how do i understand that all of my lofty aspirations are aspirations and i'll get closer and closer and closer and i will never fully hit it so that i don't beat myself up when i miss the mark Mm. um i just go back and think well why 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 did that slip out today why was that so easy You know, Mm. what was it? What was going on in my mind? What was it about the conversation? Like, how did, how did that happen? Not in a, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? But like, really reflect? How did that happen? Mm. And I have not spent much time reflecting on that, because it did literally just happen, you know, in a meeting right before I got on the call with you. So, um, but it is something that I want to spend some time with. Like, I've gotten pretty good at not using ableist language like that. And then there it was. And why? You know, what was it? What was it in that moment?
0: I don't know what you know. Often. One of the things, one of the things that I'd love to to hear is, uh, you know, when you and I were were talking about what did we want to explore together. One of the things that you mentioned was you used to be, or you, you know, historically were a fairly sarcastic person, which I resonated yes. with because. Yes. It's something that I, you know, I sometimes say it's sometimes sarcasm is my love language, but then I realize how sharp it can be. So I'm curious to, you know, paint the picture for us of, um, you know, as best you can in the time we have of of your journey, you know, what what has your journey been or what were some of those key moments in your journey that, that took you perhaps from, a, I'm making an assumption here, but f- perhaps from a place of maybe not being as intentional, maybe not being as, as curious, maybe, you know, not slowing down enough. And right. We, all of us spend a lot of our time on autopilot. Um, and to, to where you are now from a standpoint of wanting to be not only for yourself, but help others be much more intentional about the world that they create through their words. Yeah. You know, it's funny, when we look back
1: sometimes it's easy to find those pivotal moments and Mm. then sometimes it's not right. Like the journey is so gradual and it's not like you wake up one day and you say, I am about to go on a journey to become, (laughs) you know, a person who is no longer relies on sarcasm as a defense mechanism. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, the sarcasm thing, I didn't even realize until probably in the last year or so like, Oh, I'm, I don't think I'm sarcastic anymore. I don't think mm. I'm sarcastic anymore, right? I didn't. It it wasn't something that I was working toward. I think it's a byproduct. Uh, I um. And there are still some pivotal moments, mm. right? I've I've always been interested in justice and equity, um, and for a long time I came at it from a very uneducated place of privilege mm. right where um i could be a good a good white person i could be a good um straight cis woman i could be a good you know all of the thing, all of the privilege that i hold which is a lot of privilege um like i could just i could do good and there was a lot of unlearning there. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the most pivotal things for me is I was in a fellowship in 2019 and it was, um, it was the Nexus fellowship and it was a fellowship. It was the first time I was ever in a place that was deliberately decolonized. It was created for the people of color and and in many ways, specifically the black people in the room. And it was the first place I'd ever been where my experience was not centered. Mm. right? Which was not to say that I wasn't welcomed or that I wasn't loved or that I wasn't, you know, fully included, but my experience wasn't centered. And I went into that fellowship. It was a year long program. And I went in and the question that I went in was, what is my role as a white person in doing this kind of good work? And then when I got there, I realized, no, the question is, who am I? What does Mm. liberation look like for me? Mm. And when I experienced liberation, then then I'll know how I'm supposed to show up in the world. And then that will be the work that I'm supposed to do. Um, And then for whatever reason, because I think all of us are called to different, there's so much work to be done. I think we're all called to different things. And for whatever reason, the thing that I'm really called to is to um mess up publicly, like share all of mm. the, you know, I, I think because I hold so much privilege, I don't want to be somebody that goes around like sharing the answers because there's nothing I can say that, you know, a black woman hasn't said better. Right. Mm. Um, But I know the thing that I know my lived experience is I know how to be, you know, specifically around anti-racism. I know how to be a white person that is constantly bumping up against the white supremacy that's inside of me. That's the thing that I've got. That's my lived experience that I can share. So, you know, it helps that I'm an extrovert and I've always shared all of my experiences with everybody. And I've always been, you know, telling my life story to the person behind me in the grocery store line, um, made it a little bit easier, but, but I think that, that it is more than, oh, and so therefore I became careful about language. Mm. And so Mm. not so much sarcasm and now really being intentional about the words that I use. That is, that's, a that is a product of that's like a a result of leaning into that liberation and being willing to be vulnerable to myself and then outside of myself right because you can't really be that vulnerable like you can't be sarcastic and vulnerable Mm. in the same moment Mm. I don't think I can't
0: no, I, <laughs> there's a oh boy, there's a couple of different paths I, I'm curious to explore with you. Um, I think it, it you know, I want to talk just sort of briefly about the, the sarcasm, because I, that's something that I see a lot in, you know, the work that we do, or right, you know, sometimes that's just how we interact with people or engage with them. And, You know and and sometimes there's there's places of you know just joking around or loving teases and then then it is i think it's a worthwhile exploration to go when when is it when does it shift from that to being more defensive when when is it because maybe i am uncomfortable being vulnerable and this is the way that i feel like i can show it that feels safe and protected um and i think you know i'm I imagine that there's quite a few people listening who probably resonate with this and then and then your your comment about how it wasn't necessarily that that was your goal but by becoming um, becoming more intentional and um, and being willing to you know leaning into that uh, yeah, I'm gonna publicly own when I mess up and that's that's how I realized my role that the output of that was you became even more thoughtful about your language right you built those muscles even more. It's so important for for white people to have these conversations, right? And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I know that I struggled with, and I think I still do sometimes, like I don't think I know, but it's something that I hear, uh, you've just heard recently from a client that we are talking to is this, I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so then what happens, you know, specifically in the context of talking about uh, inclusion and racism and anti-racism and I'm so, and so there's this, this caution and so then the default is, I'm just not going to say anything, right? Instead mm-hmm. of leaning into that, and I and I want to, I'd love to explore and unpack that of, you know, understanding that where that comes from, but also why that's actually quite problematic, um, right? When we're coming from that place of essentially, pro- I'm protecting my comfort, um, instead of at the cost of at the cost, yes, right. At the cost of real harm mm-hmm. to others mm-hmm. and yeah. and i say i want to be a good person and i care about people and yet the the way i'm showing up the language i'm using or the conversations i'm avoiding are actually causing harm so i'd love to hear your thoughts on that
1: yeah i think especially for white people who you know were socialized and grew up in the united states And we've talked about this too. Right. And like in the Midwest, right. Like the, the culture of, I can't even remember what you call it, but you know, niceness. I call it violent
0: po- politeness, but violent the nice, politeness. The niceness, you know, we're going to be yeah, nice. But I think kind of no matter
1: where you were brought up, there's this idea that, you know, it's not polite to talk about race,
0: mm.
1: right. It's not, it's not polite to name the things that are not comfortable. Mm. And, I frankly think that that's a lie of white supremacy, Mm. right? Because it allows us to center our comfort at the cost of everybody else around us. It's not polite for me to name race. It's not polite for me to name disability. It's not polite for me to name all of these things. Therefore, I get a pass and I don't have to do it. And I can keep moving forward, you know, harming other people, thinking that I'm doing the right thing. Mm. um, Because my comfort is... I'm masking that centering of my comfort with this veneer of politeness and niceness. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I have a friend one time who said to me, I'd rather be good than nice. Mm. And I think about that all the time, right? I would rather be of good character. I would rather be of good competence. You know, I'd rather be good in all the ways that one can be good than nice. Mm. And when you can be good and nice at the same time, go for it, right? There's no, like, you don't have to, <laughs> right, don't have to just right, be mean. Like, I don't right. have to be nice, right? But if the choice is good or nice, um, then, you know, go for good. Um, and that fear that you have of saying the wrong thing, you'll say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we say the wrong thing. I am, um, uh, a colleague of mine, Claire Haas, uh, who I was actually just speaking with this morning. Um, in another context, I heard her say one time, you know as a white person doing this kind of work of course i'm going to cause harm of course i'm going to cause harm i am choosing to cause harm in service to liberation and not in service to fear
0: mm.
1: and like that is the best the best thing right the best way to think about it so i'm not going to stop because i might cause harm i know i'm going to get it wrong i know i'm going to mess it up but i'm going to keep on stepping out there i'm going to keep making repair where I need I'm gonna keep learning the things I'm gonna get I'm gonna get better at this and the only you know ev- like everything else, right How do you become a good recorder player um, <laughs> <laughs> it's through practice how do you become good at anything it's through practice so how do you become good at navigating these kinds of conversations and saying the wrong thing less often mm-hmm. is by practice and when you're practicing an instrument and you hit the wrong note you just, keep going Mm -hmm. right and maybe you're doing it in the privacy of your own room and maybe you're doing it in front of other you know family and friends and maybe you get to the point where you're performing a concert in front of strangers and you still hit the wrong note and you just keep going right so you say the wrong thing you make the mistake you cause harm you admit it you repair to you know you do your part in the repair and you keep going yeah and it happens less often
0: yeah or yeah or or, or it, it may become a, may perhaps a little less painful not that that's necessarily the goal you know but but it, you know I think any time you know it's one of the things when we talk about I feel like I'm a broken record is, um, g- generally speaking about relationships, right? Regrettable events are inevitable. We're we're mm-hmm. going to have these moments. But then especially looking at it through the lens of of being a white person and and working to um explore how can I show up in a way that it truly is inclusive. How can I, how can I understand the biases I hold, whether they're conscious or, or unchecked or unconscious, right? Just like you, you know, checked me earlier. It's like, well, that's Mike, I'm I'm gonna have to get curious about that. Like there was something potentially something in my brain. And, and, you know, and, and and I think about my good friend, uh, Stephanie Chin, who's been such an important person in my life personally, but also in in doing this work from a standpoint of how can I show up more powerfully? How, uh, you know, like, who am I? Who do I want to be? And, you know, and that's the thing that she constantly reminds me is, yeah, Sarah, you're going to mess up but it's it's in those moments where either when you realize it or somebody helps you realize it and it's not com- i mean it's not comfortable because you know we all i shouldn't say we all but many of us like you said earlier we want to do good we want to show up you know i i i i i think of myself as a very open person and yet there's so much you know conditioning and cultural conditioning that is within me and untangling that uh that I don't even maybe realize is impacting how I'm showing mm-hmm. up. But but in that moment of, you know, for me it's that yeah, it's the I want to get I want to get real curious. So instead of shutting down and shutting up, I want to get real curious about why is that so uncomfortable for me? And also and, and why is it also true, the feedback that they gave me or like if mm-hmm. somebody calls me out or they offer a perspective or or whatever the case is, is that's not always it for me anyway. It's not comfortable, but it's the you know, I just posted uh, shared this on, on a LinkedIn post and it's it's I have it written at my desk, which is uh, so Minda hearts uh, someday. She's one of my dream guests. I will get oh, her on yeah. the show. Um, she she wrote uh, the book the memo and the right within uh and the right within really explores this idea of healing from racial trauma and and one of the things she shared during um an event that I was able to participate in was no one will benefit from your caution but so many can benefit from your courage and yeah. and that just I mean I I have a whole, Uh, I have goosebumps I have sort of a pit in my stomach I have right all of those emotions as I think about that and 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 as we think about how do we show up more powerfully not just for ourselves but for other people it is going to take some courage Mm -hmm. and 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 but again to realize that uh, to not do so there is a cost others are paying right in really significant ways yeah
1: yeah Uh, I heard Brene Brown one time say, if you think you're being brave and you're not being vulnerable, then you're not really being brave because bravery bravery is vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right about the discomfort and I think that that gets back to you know what we were talking about earlier. this right to comfort is something mm. that uh, white supremacy culture and and all of the the things patriarchy, capitalism, all of that tells us that we have this right to comfort. And that we don't sort of step outside of ourselves and think about how uncomfortable other people are around us all the time because our comfort is so important. And I I think learning how to be comfortable with that discomfort is, is a really important skill. To be like, oh, there's this thing in the pit of my stomach again. Hello, friend. Yeah. You know what does this mean? What am I? Go- what am I going to learn here? What do I need to? You know what do I need to repair? What do I need to think about? Where do, Where should my curiosity take me? Um, and I think, you know, for me, there have been times in my life that I realized that I've I've gotten pretty comfortable, but like in the surroundings that I'm in, um, there's I have created a world where. I can be, you know, a pretty good, you know, there again, like good white person, Mm. good anti-racist, whatever. And, Mm. um, and yeah, sometimes it's like, well, how can I chase discomfort? Because Mm. if I'm too comfortable, I'm missing something or I'm not, I'm either missing something that's right in front of my face or I'm not stepping into possibilities Um, And I
0: don't want to be a person that doesn't step into possibilities. Mm. What a, it's, you know, what a powerful reflection for, for us and for those who are listening to think about, you know, uh, that idea of chasing discomfort and where might you be comfortable doing that? And where might you not be comfortable doing that? And then to get curious about both of those and, and you know, I uh, you the, because this episode hasn't launched, but uh, you you will be coming after the interview that I did with my my friend Paul. And one of the things we talked about was that voice in your head of "Oh, I see you, friend." Like so, how you were saying I wanted to connect back of <laughs> just just that acknowledgement of "I see you." And and yeah. and when we're you know when we're Working to be, you know, brave, courageous in our in our relationships, in our work, how we show up in the world. You know, when we're talking now specifically through a lens of, of really stepping into what does it look like for me to be anti-racist. Again, I go back to uh, some wisdom that I, you know, I feel like is burned into my heart in a good way. But from my colleague and friend Stephanie, and and one of the things she said is. When you start really doing the work of, of thinking about this, of exploring it, of showing up differently, uh, when you hit moments where you want to retreat, like, that's actually where you're probably making a difference in mm-hmm. a way beyond just right internal thinking mm-hmm. and reflection. And that's something that I I think about a lot of that. And, and, you know, I mean, through this work, but then also in other elements of my life of mm-hmm. am I am I leaning into those possibilities into a, a, at a level that makes me go, oh, shit, this is kind of scary or oh I'm not sure. Or am I, you know, and, and realizing that, no, that's actually where not only potentially can I make the most impact um, in the world around me, but I can make the most impact for myself. Right. To change that internal yeah. landscape so that I can can show up differently.
1: Yes. Yes. To all of that. Um a thing, though, that I was thinking about while you were while you were talking is this idea of comfort and safety. And mm. so, mm. I think a lot of times, uh, white supremacy tells us that if we are uncomfortable, that means that we're unsafe,
0: mm.
1: and that's not true. Mm. And so there is a way in which we need to really get clear on what the difference is between discomfort and lack of safety, Mm. because if it is about discomfort, then we need to move forward and not retreat. Sometimes it actually is a lack of safety, and then the response has to be different. Yeah. Right. But I would suggest that especially when it comes to anti-racism and things around race, uh, for those of us who identify as white, most of the time, it's gonna be discomfort and yeah. not safety. Yeah, right. If it is about race, right. And again, I hold a lot of privilege, but for people who are white who are um, gender nonconforming or trans or disabled, or, you know other other um, other members of other oppressed, groups then there is a difference between you know there are times that you're really not safe and think about it because you're still white and so there's still an awful lot of times where you might be thinking that you're not safe because you're used to being not safe in a lot of spaces and Mm. that's legitimate Mm. if it's about race probably even still it's
0: discomfort Mm. i think i'm going to be chewing on that a lot i um Yeah, of uh, 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 just how you teased out the difference and and, and, and also, you know, I, I'm, I'm also thinking through the lens of, of, well, sort of flipping it a bit because I know uh, many of the people who listen are either in positions of formal authority and power, right? Whether that's from an HR perspective, uh, another type of manager perspective is, you know, and also thinking about when is it unsafe for someone else? that that's more than just, oh, it's uncomfortable, you know, that sometimes uh, people can over rotate it. You know, when we do the work from elephants of like, oh, we just Mm -hmm. need to call it out. And it's like, well, no, sometimes it really isn't safe. Mm -hmm. It it really isn't. And and that I think that's such a that what a powerful reflection to go. Is it that I'm unsafe or is it that I'm uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And and again, what's the cost of me staying in my comfort to other people, to me, um, and what's the benefit of the courage. You know, one of the, um, one of the gifts that you gave me that I, I, I want to share with, with the group, because it was, it's something I feel like I've shared a bunch of times with, you know, my own clients or colleagues or friends is, uh, you know, when we talk about, um, wanting to show up and wanting to, to show up different than differently than maybe, you know, what the white dominant white supremacist culture has, has shaped for us. And, and I just, I want to call this out real quickly because I, uh, I, I, I will attach in the show notes some resources for people who maybe be unfamiliar with this phrase or this terminology or the concept um, behind it. Um, so I'll share some resources in the show notes because because I know, I mean, even just that o- owning and acknowledging that there is a white dominant culture, right? The white sort of supremacist culture way of being, Um is very present, even if it's not always conscious. So I, I just I wanted to to name that for a second. But um, but related to that, you know, when you and I were doing work together, we we I came to you in a moment, very, very tender moment. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story a bit, just, you know, um, the world was in chaos because of the pandemic, you know. <laughs> yep. and, and I was getting all these messages about how I should run the company, how I should show up for people. And and I'll I'll never forget, you and I had a conversation. And I with I, I remember just being parts f- afraid and and also um worried of, you know, what if what if in wanting to build a company that's truly Good for humans and all humans. What what if I'm actually too empathetic? Was the question that I asked. And and I, and you know, Anne paused and then she said, Well, what would it look like to be too empathetic? But it was such a powerful moment for a couple of reasons. One, through the lens of the words that I was using. Too through the lens of all the rules I had been taught about what it looks like to be a successful, quote unquote, business owner, again, through a very, uh, you know, white dominant lens of, well, you have to be tough and you have to be achievement oriented and you have to have the sense of urgency and you can't have emotions in the workplace and perfectionism, right, at all costs. And, you know, the list goes on and and unpacking that with you was was so powerful and, um, and, but, but one of the things in, in exploring that was realizing that, well, no, like to be, there isn't such a thing as being too empathetic because it, it doesn't mean that I won't hold people accountable. It doesn't mean that we won't, you know, won't work through if there's challenges. Um, but then you explain this garden metaphor and, and, do you remember the the like tangling of the roots and oh, it isn't yes, I, enough? Which, yes, I use do you that all remember the time. that enough to be able to share that in your words? Oh, um, sure. Because I this is something I share all the
1: time. So I think of it as when I think about like white supremacy culture, white dominant culture, I think of it as like, I'm a garden, right? And the 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 flowers or the plants or the the whatever it is that's planted there because i think for each of us it's it looks something different but that's that's the true me who i really am who i'm meant to be who i want to be in the world and i you know all of these plants have roots right and these roots go down and they get nurtured and i can grow and i can flourish and then there's white supremacy culture which are like the weeds in the garden but the weeds go really deep and the weeds are are woven through and around the roots of the weeds are woven through and around the roots of the plants. Right. And so you can't just look at white supremacy and say, boom, I'm going to, I'm going to yank it out without doing tremendous damage to the, the plants to, to who you truly are. Right. So it's this unwinding and unwrapping and really carefully separating so that you can then get rid of it. And, um, they're in deep, they're in deep. Uh, um, There's a a saying that people will, will, that you may have heard about how, you know, we're like, we're like fish in the water and the water around us is white supremacy. And I heard someone recently say, no, actually we're the water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so these, like, I don't believe that I'm going to be able to get all of these roots out in my lifetime, but that's Mm -hmm. what my life's work is, is to Mm -hmm. just keep, you know, it'll get easier, right? I get more nimble at doing it. Um, I get rid of some of the bigger ones that were really Mm. clogging things up so that now I can get, you know, to the little ones that uh, I never would have noticed before. But that, like that, that really delicate separating the roots of white supremacy culture from the roots of who I truly am at my most liberated, um, it's hard and Mm. it's delicate and nuanced and you know how weeds just keep growing right mm-hmm. so like you, you you have to keep doing it um to get to a point where you're doing it faster than they can grow back
0: mm. yeah it's yeah that that like micro incision over, mm-hmm. over and over and mm-hmm. over and you know and and you know you you said earlier uh you know i, I want to be someone who leans into possibilities And and I and I and I I think that's such an important practice of what you know the something we talk about a lot within our team or even in the work or even just reflection. You know, Nick and I we talk about this are these rules and roles. That have been created for us of, of what it means and what it looks like, and whether that's what it means and what it looks like to work, what does professionalism look like? What does a relationship look like? What is my role as the wife? What is his role as the, the husband? And and how how there are things that um, you know, whether they were told explicitly or implicitly or just conditioned that that limit us and, and who we who we can be, you know, that that mm-hmm. that that flower of who we are. And mm-hmm. and I mean, and this is this this may seem like a benign exploration for some people, but it was really quite powerful for me of and and I, I want to share it from a standpoint of how do we get curious about who are we really? Mm -hmm. How do we get curious about how do we really want to show up and what are those rules and what are those roles that have been placed on us and and how do we untangle from that to say no this is who I am and this is how I want to show up and that isn't the only way there's lots of ways you know for me it was um, you know and anyone who who knows me knows that I for many many years operated at one speed like unhealthily mm-hmm. a, at an unhealthy pace, right? Mm-hmm. And um and I and I wanted to to get better at resting. And it wasn't enough to say, "Oh, I just should nap more." <laughs> I wanted to examine my relationship with rest. And I realized mm-hmm. that, right? Like so so much of the culture is hustle and sense of urgency and grind and all of this that even though I I valued rest or I I valued rest. I clearly didn't because Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing it. Um, or I knew intellectually how important it was. It wasn't until I took the time to, and this wasn't a single sit down conversation. This was, you know, sort of over a period of months. And I think I still have moments where it's like, oh, that's interesting that, oh, hello. I see you. I see you voice that tells me I need to hustle. I see you voice that tells me I need to, you know, scaling and building my company at, you know, an incredible rate. Um, But that, that willingness to get real curious about like, man, where did, what, what, what's, what have I been told? Or how have I been shaped related to how I think about how I should show up in the world? And, um, and, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that, that metaphor for me of that garden, and, and how do we really get, like, explore the tangling and the untangling and that it doesn't, it's not just as simple as saying, yeah, I want to do this, or I want to show up in this way. It's, oh, there's a lot that's going to hold me to continue showing up in a way that might be different. And you, you use the word liberation. Mm -hmm. And that's such an intentional word, I know, uh, for you, especially. Um, and I, I, I wanted to get curious about that with you. When, uh, when you think of liberation, Uh, What does that mean for you? And what, what might, what could that mean for our audience? Yeah. I mean, so when I'm, when
1: I'm thinking about liberation, it's, it's that thing that you just talked about, right? It's who, who am I really without Mm -hmm. the trappings of what, white supremacy or white dominant culture have said, without the trappings of what patriarchy says, without the trappings of what capitalism says, without all of the societal trappings, who am I? Who was I meant to be? Hmm. Who do I want to be? What is, what is, what does that person look like? And then how do I lean into that and give up? those other things. And it's not easy, right? Like society tells you, right. Society tells you, you should be scaling your company and you should be successful. And society says that we should be doing all these things and they don't all serve us. Hmm. Um, And in fact, they often like not only don't serve us, but actively harm us. Yeah. And so liberation is, is leaning, you know, (laughs) leaning out of those things and into What's really true, and I think I'm gonna now add to my garden metaphor, which I've never done before. Mm. But when this you were is talking a world about premiere. Sorry. Sorry. there we Continue go, on. yeah, <laughs> like, right. So like we're getting rid of the things, right? We're untangling, but we also have to be nurturing mm. the the plants that belong there,
0: mm.
1: right? And so I think when I think about liberation, it's it's the untangling, but it's also the nurturing. What am I pouring in, mm. um, so that the garden grows? beautiful healthy plants that are that are the plants that are supposed to be there
0: Mm. you know as you were talking you know what was also coming up for me is and then you know how can i what role you know like I, you know I'm thinking what role can I play, but how can I be even more intentional about supporting other people on their journey of untangling and discovering and redefining? and what you know I uh, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but um, when I when I first started my coaching journey, like, they wanted us to come up with like what's your purpose, what's your mission? Mm-hmm. and and what what came up for me was the idea that I, and I used the metaphor of an acorn. That if you think of a tiny little acorn, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: every single acorn has within it the greatness of an oak tree, Mm -hmm. as long as it's nurtured. And, you know, and and for me, it's how can I be the sun that nurtures the acorn to become the great oak tree it was meant to be? Oh, that's beautiful. And so as you're talking, I mean, it's I, I feel very quite emotional as you were you were talking about that of, you know, the 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 discomfort of untangling is really important and and sometimes the discomfort of nurturing is is equally important i boy i (sighs) also i feel like all of these conversations i always have moments where i'm like and just imagine a world Mm -hmm. where where people could be liberated to be their true selves to be able to show up in the way that uh of, of who they are to create systems and structures that are maybe that are different than what we have to, And, um, and I, you know, when I've experienced that for myself or I see that maybe in my husband or my friends or, you know, family members, it's, it's overwhelming and, and um, and, but, but the, but the weeds are still really, they're really tight in our in our world, right like um, but I just sit there and go like God imagine 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 what would be possible. imagine you know imagine what would be possible if everyone was able to lean into their their true self their that they were able to bring their full gifts forward that they were able to uh, you know be the the humans they deserve to be that's uh, the world I want to live in.
1: Yeah. So that's the world we work to create.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And you and I, we're not going to change the entire world, but we can
0: change part of the world. Mm-hmm. We can change the, the world that's right around us. Mm-hmm. It's a, a professor of mine once said, be the daisy in the onion patch. You know, because mm. daisies multiply fast. So, so how do you, you know, be the daisy in the onion yeah. patch?
1: And I think, you know, the reality is we didn't get here in a generation.
0: Right. So we're not going to
1: solve the whole thing, you know, in our lifetime. I think a lot about, like, the people that came before us and the people who will come after us. And I think a a thing that motivates me as I think about what kind of ancestor I want to be, like, what's the legacy? Because it's not all going to get solved now.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, and and not to and not to let that. Uh, sometimes I think when situations can feel complex or overwhelming, or that we won't see it done in our lifetime, right? That can also be something that can go well. I'm going to retreat into what's comfortable and good for me. Um, but that that reflection question, I'm I'm definitely going to think on it and would invite our listeners to think about that idea of you know what's your legacy what's what kind of ancestor do you want to be you know what are the stories that uh, you know whether it's your grandkids or whatever and and i and i would invite you know one of the things that i want this to be obviously you and i are having a conversation but i also want to open it up to uh, to those of you who are joining us so if you've reflected on that question of what kind of ancestor do i want to be and you want to share it with ann and i uh, please do. And I will make sure that I share that with her. I mean, you can certainly, you can share it on social media or you can email, email us at podcast at But I would love to, you know, hear and hold space for your journey of reflecting on that. And there's so much, there's so, this was, you know, this is one of many conversations um, and it was such an important one, and and I'm so I'm so grateful for the role that you've played in my life to help me see the weeds that aren't serving me and the people around. And and you were so so for those of you who are listening, you know you you hear us talk a lot about how we want to build a company that works better for humans and a very human first and there was a real time of transition in 2020. And, and Anne, you played such an important role in me owning the flower I was, right? Thank you. So thank you for that. Um, And the ripple effect was significant, probably more than you'll ever know, but I'll continue to try to tell you. So as we as we wind down, there's always one question that I, 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 I invite our guests to think about and reflect and invite you at home to think about as well. You know, the whole podcast is about conversations we have with ourselves and with other people. So I'm curious to know, Anne, what what was a conversation that you've had, whether it's with yourself or with someone else or both, that was transformative? So
1: before I answer that, I just want to say, you know, all of the lovely things you said about me and the relationship that we have and impact, I just want to say likewise, I value mm. your friendship and the conversations that we have always leave me with something to chew on and something to, to think about and contemplate. Um, uh, and um, anytime I I think about how to get curious about something, I think of you. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, a transformative conversation. I so I shared this with you actually on Twitter recently. and mm. so this is the most recent one that i that is coming to mind. Um, I had to have a conversation recently with someone, and I was not looking forward to it. And I had a lot of preconceived ideas about where this conversation was gonna go and what this person was thinking or feeling. and I was i I realized I was feeling incredibly judgmental. And I thought, well, this this isn't this isn't going to go well right and so i i channeled some sarah and i thought how am i how can i lead with curiosity into this conversation and i led with curiosity and it was such a lovely conversation and i um i don't believe that this person felt judged because i wasn't i was no longer judging I was no longer judging and I was just really curious and open to hear what they had to share. And I I don't think that that conversation was necessarily transform- transformative, but the conversation that I had with myself mm. prior to that, my preparation for that conversation mm. was transformative in, you know, that was that was the thing in action, right? That was the stopping beforehand and thinking, how am I how am I feeling? How am I going to show up in ways that are not aligned to who I am or to who I want to be? Um, And how can I shift that and show Mm -hmm. up in the way that I want to be? And how might that change the conversation? And wow, didn't it?
0: Mm. Um,
1: I might have other examples that are no, I think more that's a, magical, but no, that's the one no, that I but had just
0: I, recently, I think that's so I, that's such a beautiful, that's such a beautiful example. And I, And that's a theme. That's a theme that certainly has has is coming through. in a lot of our conversations with people is that that power of the pause, the power mm, yeah. of, of, of preparing and, and preparing doesn't necessarily go, well, I'm going to script it out. And I know what I'm going to say, or whatever. It's anchoring, anchoring yourself. And how do I want to show up in this moment? Because again, boy do we spend a lot of time on autopilot. I mean, there's there's times where I my husband and I can have a whole conversation. I'm like, I'm sorry. What what did you I you <laughs> yeah. know, like what did yeah, you say? I so I, I love that. You I know. love that example. Yeah. And, and if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? The best
1: way is probably Twitter. That is where I spend most of my social media time. Uh, my handle is ann tomk a n n e t o m k and then i'm also on linkedin you can find me at ann tomkinson um i haven't figured out i haven't made space in my life for instagram or tiktok or any of the other things oh, going on have so, so much really, time <laughs> if you want me find me on twitter that's that's where i am most likely to be
0: thank you Ann, so much you know every i think everyone needs an ann in their life somebody <laughs> that they can go to and say that didn't go how I wanted, or I'm not sure how to navigate this, or here's what I'm struggling with, and to have that person who's who's willing to to see the discomfort and to push you despite of it. So, Anne, thank you so much uh, well, thank for joining you, Sarah. us today. This was a delight and
1: an honor. Honestly, I'm loving every episode that I have heard of the podcast so far. So um,
0: honored to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations. I know that I enjoyed, and I hope you did as well. Talking to Ann Topkinson as we explored, you know, difficult conversations around the words that we use, the rules and roles that influence us, the role that a white dominant, white supremacist culture plays, and and how ultimately. We can start to liberate ourselves to be who we truly were meant to be and to create an environment where others do the same. I have a list of all the things I'm going to hold on to, but a, a couple of things that are resonating deeply for me is, you know, first that it, it, the idea of, now I'm going to name my mistakes out loud to normalize that. I think that that's something that I do, but I think that's something I want to become. I don't think I want to become more intentional about. That idea of uh, the difference between comfort versus safety and uh, and just, and again, that idea of what does liberation look like? What does it look like to be our true full self? So I'm so grateful. And as I mentioned in the conversation, you know, we were referencing this idea of white supremacist, white dominant culture, and uh, we'll add some resources for those of you who might be unfamiliar or maybe maybe you're uncomfortable hearing that language. Uh, we invite you to get curious, to learn more about it and also to get curious about what, why, where does that come from and, and what's that discomfort for you. I again I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, if you are interested in more information on holding deeper, more meaningful conversations with others, or if you'd simply like to reach out, you can connect with me on Sarah and my colleagues. You can also connect with us on social media. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Sarah Noel Wilson. Also, you can pick up a copy of my book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. If you have been joining us for a while, or if this is your first episode and and, and you like the, what we're doing and it's resonating for you, we invite you to support us in a couple of different ways. The first is you can become a, Patreon, a patron of the show and go to patreon.com backslash conversations on conversations, where your financial support not only sustains this podcast and uh, 100% of, of the proceeds are uh, used to to pay the amazing team. And staff. You can also get access to some pretty great benefits like unique swag and Patreon only content events. If you have questions with us, want to share what resonated, or you just want to send pictures of a flower that represents who you are at your best self that I can share with Ann, please shoot me an email at podcast at saranolwilson.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at convos on convos. Please take time to rate, review and subscribe to the show. This is um you know listening is a gift and taking that step further helps us in a variety of ways for us to continue this work and to expand it. So and if you loved what we're doing, we would be honored to have a five star rating. Also, if you're enjoying the show and you think others might too, help us spread the word. You know, whether you want to tell a friend about it, you want to post about it on social media, if you want to start an AOL chat group exploring it, uh, we invite you to do that. We want these conversations to reach as many people and as many ears as possible. So helping people find the podcast is another great way to show your support. Finally, I just want to give a heartfelt thank you to our incredible team who makes this podcast possible, to Drew Knoll and Nick Wilson for editing and producing the show, Olivia Reinert who helps with transcribing, and Caitlin Summit Nelson for all of her marketing support. And just one more final, final thank you to Ann Tomlinson, our guest today, who uh, is an incredible human who is helping me and so many others Uh, show up in more powerful ways. And a final reminder that when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, I do believe that we can change the world. So thank you all. Please make sure you get rest and stay rehydrated and we'll see you again soon.